tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. From the podglomerate, you're listening to The Feast. I'm Dr. Laura Carlson, and I explore the history of food. From empires of sugar to lunch counter revolutions. Whether it's mom's home cooking or opulent hundred-course dinners, food has fueled politics, technology, religion, and more. History is full of food, And on each episode of The Feast, we're bringing you the meals that made it. If you know anything about Newfoundland and Canada, you know everything is about fish. Well, specifically, cod. Located off the very eastern tip of Canada, smack in the middle of the northern Atlantic, in Newfoundland, the phrase, cod is king, doesn't even begin to describe how much that one fish has determined the history of the island. From supplying food to the indigenous peoples of the area for thousands of years— To the more recent European communities that have relied on the waters of Atlantic Canada, cod is everywhere, even in their songs. This particular song, for example, Fishin' in a Dory by Ray Johnson, with lyrics by the late, great Paul Emberley, is just one of maybe a hundred songs from the area devoted to the subject Newfoundlanders know a thing or two about. Fishing. And it's a subject with a very deep and long history. When European explorer John Cabot reached the island in the late 15th century, he set in motion a European obsession with cod that would last for the next 500 years. In one of Cabot's letters from his voyage, he described a sea so teeming with fish that the sailors merely had to lower baskets into the water to catch the cod. And After Cabot's voyage? Well, it was like a bell had been rung. Soon, not only Italian, but English and Portuguese boats were showing up in droves in Newfoundland's waters to take full advantage of the seemingly never-ending supply of cod that could be found there. By the mid-16th century, cod was so popular in European markets, it accounted for over 60% of all fish eaten in Europe. Before long, either fresh or dried and salted cod had become a staple throughout European diets. 
and cod in a variety of formats remains a favorite and prized food throughout Europe today. And that culinary appreciation runs deep in the geography and place names of Newfoundland. For example, the Portuguese and Spanish word for dried salted cod, bacalao, or variations thereof, is directly related to Newfoundland's Bacaloo Island. And cod made its mark on England, too. Depending on who you ask, for many folks, England's iconic fish and chips has to be made with cod. Otherwise, it's just not the same. And speaking of England, it was largely immigrants from the British Isles, specifically England and Ireland, who helped to create the backbone of many of today's Newfoundland communities. It was largely during the 19th century when these folks arrived on the island to take advantage of the wealthy fishing trade the area offered. Cod may have been feeding the countries of Europe for centuries, but the folks who settled in Newfoundland during this time found their own way of cooking and enjoying cod, creating a distinct culinary culture, one that certainly took full advantage of the fish that lived right off their coast, but also relied on the other produce the island offered whether that was hunting moose or foraging for wild berries and other edible plants. And it's that culinary culture that is increasingly being recognized and celebrated today, both in Canada and throughout the world. And if you want to get a sense of just how rich the food culture is in Newfoundland, there's probably no better person to talk to than Laurie McCarthy, who owns and runs the company Cod Sounds, which is dedicated to preserving and promoting Newfoundland's culinary foodways, history, and culture. Cod Sounds, Cod Sounds is meant to really, you know, give people an idea of a way of life here in Newfoundland, Labrador. And I always say that our way of life is completely uh, driven by our food and has been created based on our food culture. It's, uh, it's why we came to Newfoundland. It's why we stayed here. And so it, our, it's really shaped who we are as a people. Um, you know, I started the company about five years ago, officially, I think. It was really meant to be this little thing that I would do on the side while the kids were little and um, just for fun. <laughs> Wouldn't it be fun to just take people out and show them, you know, how we grew up and the stuff that was so, so everyday to us and see what they thought of it kind of thing and see if they enjoyed their time here and give them an opportunity to get the places that are off the beaten track and not in any guidebook and places that were special to me. And I wanted to share these places and, and our food with people. Um, traditionally, we weren't you know, known for a place of food. You didn't, you didn't travel to Newfoundland to eat our food. <laughs> you know. But of course, you have to eat when you're here. And, and that certainly changed in the past, oh, 15, 20 years here. Um, you know, we've all realized that we have something pretty special here when it comes to our food culture. And it's becoming more apparent all the time, <laughs> for sure. You may also have caught Lori talking about Newfoundland's great food culture on the recent Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown episode. Hey, I told you Newfoundland was getting a lot of attention. And if you haven't seen the episode, it's definitely worth a watch. We'll put a link to the episode and all its digital content, which is fabulous, by the way, on our website at thefeastpodcast.org. Now, if you're not an ichthyologist, that is, someone who studies fish, or from Newfoundland, you may be wondering why Lori's company is called Cod Sounds. 
Because no, it has nothing to do with music. Although, as we've heard, there are plenty of songs about cod from Newfoundland. No, sounds in this case refers to a specific part of the fish itself. Now, Newfoundland is famous for its particular style of English. In fact, there's an entire formal dictionary dedicated to the cornucopia of accents and dialects that make up what is usually called Newfoundland English. And it's not surprising that many of those words relate to cod and just food in general. But let's get back to the explanation of cod sounds in specific. When I was coming up with a name, I had hired a fantastic marketing company here, Ray Agency. And we, anyway, they came up with all these names and they brought a couple of them to my mom. And my, I mean, it's like, if the mother don't approve, this is never going to work. <laughs> so just randomly, my mother starts talking about this story about my grandfather. And you know, Lori, your, father, your grandfather used to go out and when they come in with the fish, she said, the fish should be split and the sound bones were taken out. So that's like the vertebrae of the fish. So the sound bone would be taken out. And your grandfather always said there was too much meat left on them to throw them away. So they used to salt them. So the old people would salt the sound bones because there was lots of fish still left on it. And then they would, would have them throughout the winter and the fall. And they would have them for lunch. Like you'd, you'd soak them and you'd bring them to a boil. And then all that little, all the bits of fresh fish would come off. And they always said it was the best parts of the fish. Now, the sound, in, in the sound bone is what they call the sound. It's a little membrane with sound, which doesn't sound appetizing at all. <laughs> but <laughs> it's actually the air bladder that keeps the codfish afloat. So it's this random piece of, of cod, uh, you know, um, but it was a delicacy here. Like the tongues and the cheeks and all these parts of the codfish that we appreciated here more than, any, more than the fillet itself. So the codfish and the was you know revered here, and the the sound and the the tongues and like I said all that stuff. So mom was telling me this story, and she said, "You should call it cod sounds." And like a name like cod sounds, I could do anything inside that name. <laughs> so yeah, so that's where the name came from, and I I love it because people always ask about it, and I put it on a T-shirt. And I can go in, uh, you know, to a bar or to an old age home. And the best thing, uh, you know, they'll say is now, you know, what's a young girl like you know about cod sounds? And and it is the best, you know, conversation starter because I'm like, well, let me tell you what I know. <laughs> yeah. And then it, it sparks that conversation and it, it jumps that generation. And then the, and you're having this conversation with someone of just a different time and gathering their stories and you're having a great time and a great conversation and it bridges that, that, that you know, generational gap. So it's, it's awesome. Now, I don't necessarily recommend Googling images of cod sounds. Remember, they are a fish's swim or air bladder, so they don't exactly have the best visual. But they are delicious. Anthony Bourdain apparently compared them to a chicharron after they had been fried a bit in butter and pork fat. Because, well, let's be honest, what doesn't improve after being fried in butter and pork fat? But if you're interested in trying some, you may be in luck. Although cod sounds had disappeared from menus and plates for many years, they are experiencing quite a resurgence. Even some fine dining places are starting to put them back on the menu. 
the um, Raymond's restaurant, one of the best restaurants in Canada, um, they have they serve the sounds again. So the sound was something that was traditionally eaten by, well, let's say, you know, the old people, and they love the sounds. And there's lots of people today that still eat the sounds because lots of people today still live a very eat a very simple diet, and the sounds are still part of their diet. And you can still buy salt salt sound bones and salt sounds. Um, but today, what's really awesome is that the boys at Raymond's Restaurant have, you know, putting it back on the plates. Like on the plates of people who come from everywhere to eat this food. And it's showcasing it all over again. And so now I serve sounds on the beach. <laughs> well, I have to. <laughs> I have to now. <laughs> the revival and return to culinary traditions in Newfoundland is a critical component of Lori's work. Not only is she frying up cod sounds on the beach for guests, she's also put together a project that aims to capture the living culinary history of Newfoundland, called the Liviers Cultural Alliance. So Liviers are the people of Newfoundland because when they, people first came to Newfoundland, they didn't live here year-round. They just came here to fish. So when the Europeans came over, the English, the Irish, the, you know, the Scots, they were just here for the fishery, just here for the summer months. But the, then people started to settle here, and those people were called the Liviers. So the Liviers are just the people of here. And for me it was, let's talk to the people of here and see what they remember. And so I started interviewing, like, my grandmother and my, you know, my friend's grandmothers and mothers and fathers and really kind of just like making notes and you know just that very simple you know if you come up to Bonavista you have to meet my grandmother oh my she remembers this and she remembers doing that with the stuff they pick on the beach or she would make this tea and that's mostly how I gather these this information it's truly just you know talking to people and having over a cup of tea at the kitchen table Obviously, quite a bit of food history in the area is wrapped up in cod. All parts of it. Gill-to-tail dining, as it were. And whether you're looking for fresh cod or salted cod, you will not go hungry for long on the island. And when asked, many a Newfoundlander will still say cod is their favorite dish. Which is, of course, a question I had to ask Lori. Oh, I have to ask, do you have a, like a, a favorite meal or a favorite dish that like, you know, last meal on earth, this is what you would ask for? Oh, I mean, pan fried fish, fresh fish. And we don't grill it here. No, just pan fried. Pan fried with scrunchions and scrunchions are pork fat, cured pork fat, cut up and diced. And then that, when that renders out, that's the fat that you fry your fish in. Yeah. I mean, and in, and here, fish is cod. So we don't, if you're having salmon, you say you're having salmon. But if you're ha- if you say we're having fish for supper, it's cod. There's no there's no <laughs> there's no talking about it. You got fish for supper, and it's funny when you come here and people say they want fresh fish, and we'll say, so fresh fish in Newfoundland means that it's not salted, but it doesn't mean that it hasn't been frozen because fresh fish in the season when it's open, we have a recreational fishery, so you get as much fish as you can and you fill the freezer for the winter, and that's something we've always done with, with the preserving and all the bottled meats. Like it's a culture of preserving. Again, nothing grows here for nine months of the year, <laughs> right? So, um, but it's the same with the fish. So if you go somewhere and you ask for fresh, fresh fish, that just means that you don't want salt fish. <laughs> you got to get the lingo down now, see? But it's put together a little, a little notebook of food in Newfoundland. <laughs> Now, let's back up just a minute here. Because where exactly does this tradition and love of salted cod or 
really any fish, come from. Today, salt cod is popular and beloved unto itself, with entire recipe books dedicated on how to prepare and cook with salted fish. But these culinary traditions really only emerged after salting had become the go-to method for preserving fish. Now, meat and seafood have been salted since time immemorial by cultures all over the world as a way to keep a valuable food resource from going off. Salting is just one method among many. Now, back in the 1500s, back in the days of John Cabot and the real birth of the European taste for cod, the fish was often simply just air-dried, not salted. And it was a much lower-cost method of keeping fish from rotting. And in his award-winning book, aptly titled Cod, A Biography of the Fish That Changed the World, Mark Kurlansky notes that an earlier term for cod was simply stockfish. Not because it was plentiful or used as the basin soups, but because the Dutch would dry and preserve the fish by simply tying their tails together and hanging them off a pole, which, in Dutch, is the word stock. Hence, polefish, or stockfish. But the problem with the pole-drying method was that you could only rely on it if the weather was cold enough. If you hung your fish out to dry during a long, hot, and muggy summer, well, all you ended up with was rotten, smelly fish. Europe needed a better way to make sure they could keep their fish good all year long. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. Enter salt. As far back as the ancient Egyptians, humans have been applying salt to keep food from spoiling. And I don't always mean dry salt either. You could always, for example, pickle a food, immersing it into a salty brine which had the second advantage of requiring less of the salty white stuff. But here's the thing about salt. It's expensive. Now, if you're by the ocean, technically you're sitting on one giant salty resource. But to get that salt out of the water, either by boiling it or letting it dry, well, it's a fairly labor-intensive process. But the thing is, humans love salt. Entire economies have been built around it. In fact, the oldest recorded urban center in Europe, known as Soinitsata, which I've probably just bungled as far as pronunciation, which is located in Bulgaria, and which dates from about 4700 BC, was actually built on salt. Its name literally means salt works. Now, salt wasn't just a prehistoric obsession. For example, any town that ends in the suffix which in England has a connection to salt. The term comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means a place that has salt. So think of Norwich, Ipswich, even Sandwich. Now, by the 1700s, salting codfish as a way to preserve it had become the go-to method. And by that point, entire dishes had been developed in places like France, Spain, and Portugal that specifically called for not fresh cod, but Salted cod. And even in Newfoundland, where the fish couldn't be fresher, 
salt cod also became a culinary staple. Because, as Lori mentioned, you may not want to find yourself out on a boat in the middle of a Newfoundland winter. Even the residents of the island needed a way to keep the fish from going off during the long, cold winter seasons. So, in one of the traditional dishes of Newfoundland, which is often enjoyed as a hearty breakfast, is actually a combination of salt cod and hardtack, or dried bread, a combination of two ancient ways of preserving food right on the same plate. It's known as fish and brews, which is spelled B-R-E-W-I-S. And it's a long-held favorite on the island, and even featured in that song we began the episode with, where a fisherman enjoys a scoff, that is, a meal or food, of fish and brews. Let's listen to that lyric one more time. From a hearty fisherman's breakfast to holiday feasts, salt cod can be found everywhere. And as Lori mentions, it's often a central ingredient to seasonal preparations of food throughout the Newfoundland year. You know, Good Friday, you have salt fish. Christmas Eve, you have salt fish. And it's certainly a time when it is about bringing everyone together. It's always less about the food, but it's all about the food in a certain sense, you know? You know, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's, it's pretty, yeah, I don't know if you can, anyone can tell a story around here without telling what you were eating when it happened. <laughs> so, okay, we've spent a good chunk of this episode on cod. And justifiably, I would say, given its role in Newfoundland's history and culture, but there's so much more to the island, and specifically more to the island's cuisine than just fish. And when we talked to Lori, she revealed a whole cornucopia of food, from what edible plants can be foraged on the coastline to the traditional hunting seasons that provide the island with more than just a fishy diet. And one of the most interesting things about the food culture as it is today in Newfoundland is the blend between ancient and modern foodways, from using the traditional cod, moose, or even seal that have provided protein to island residents for maybe thousands of years, to newer traditions, using foods brought over by the Europeans, or even using native plants in innovative ways. Um, So there's a lot of beach greens. The the seashore here and the places where freshwater meets the ocean is like super abundant in greens. So, I mean, there's all kinds of... um, Beach greens are probably some of the most exciting, uh, from sea rocket and um, goose tongue and... This... Okay, I'll admit it. I had to look up goose tongue from the name itself, which, as Google kindly let me know, looks a bit like green onions topped with a little frilly yellow and green bit, which is apparently the part you eat. Its official name is Plantago Maritima, and often is known by the fantastic term sea plantain. Which, yes, means it's apparently very distantly related to the larger, more banana-looking plantains we all know and love. Anyway, it's found all over the world, but it's only recently become a darling of chefs everywhere, from England to Newfoundland. Apparently, you can even grind it up and make a flour with it. Anyway, back to foraging with Lori. And the kelps and the seaweeds here are amazing, and like... The experimenting with, with seaweeds and making seaweed salt and smoked salts and smoked kelp 
products and using kelp to smoke fish and it's truly amazing, right? I mean, when I take people out, we're out for probably a couple of hours of that. We're sort of identifying and, and you know, walking from the tree line to the woods, to the meadow and the beach. And we can, in July and August, we can cover like 40 species. It's uh, wonder, you know, it's just amazing. And all the time, like I say now, I probably know 150 species, but there is, I'm learning all the time. Like this is a constant journey of cross-referencing books and, you know, what's the, on the Eastern seaboard of the American down, you know, through Maine and through New England and what are they eating? Because there hasn't been a lot documented about the foraging here. So while we grew up, eaten off the land, it was, there was some very specific things. And other than that, as a child, you were told everything was poison. Don't eat that and don't eat that. <laughs> so outside of berries, like the, the old people always told us not to eat anything because they didn't know what it was and they didn't know that we could eat it. So we're told not to. And so there was very, very little stuff, very little that came from the ground. I mean, it was mostly berries. Berries was a big thing and dandelions. And dandelion has a long history here. I mean, after nine months of winter here, <laughs> where nothing grows, <laughs> the first thing to grow is dandelion, and that has a, a you know a traditional significance because, well, my mother's generation, my grandmother's generation, dandelion was the first to be picked, and it was the first green that anyone had seen all winter. Lori is absolutely right. While many of us may hate the sight of those little yellow flowers in our gardens, and I know I must have plucked about a thousand from my own backyard. Dandelions have been used as a food or medicine for centuries. And here's a funny twist of history for you. Dandelions are actually not native to North America. They were brought on purpose by the Europeans when they began to settle North America. There are even accounts that the pilgrims brought dandelion seeds over on the Mayflower. Because those little lion's teeth, which is where they get their name from, are actually chock full of vitamins— Many of us might buy a weed killer to get them out of our yards, but those little plants are full of things like iron, calcium, and vitamins A and C. But if you're like me, you were probably told dandelions were poisonous when you were growing up. But that's actually just because they're so often sprayed tip-to-toe with weed killer. The actual plant itself is entirely edible. And as Lori mentions, new information about dandelions' nutritional and culinary uses is being discovered or even rediscovered all the time. We're learning to do all kinds of stuff with dandelion, not just the leaves, and now learning the medicinal properties of it and, you know, making wild teas that are just delicious but also have all kinds of anti-inflammatory properties. And, and going back to, you know, First Nations in here and what they use this stuff for. So every plant has a story, and that's what we spend most of our time doing is telling the stories of the plant's the fish, the fishery, the, you know, the, our traditional hunts. Um, and again, just kind of wrapping it all up into our way of life and our traditional foods and how our food culture kind of shapes who we are. Of course, to really get a taste of Newfoundland's culture and cuisine, you're going to have to go there yourself. And if and when you do, make sure to sign up for one of Lori's Cod Sounds Foraging or Outdoor Cookery Workshops. You can find out all about them, Lori, as well as the Livier's Cultural Alliance on her website at codsounds.ca. Obviously, a huge 
thank you to Lori for taking the time to talk with us, especially as she's now an international celebrity thanks to her feature on Anthony Bourdain. And again, if you haven't seen the Parts Unknown Newfoundland episode, it's worth a watch. Another huge thank you goes out to the various Newfoundland musicians that graciously let us use their music for this episode. We've already mentioned Ray Johnson and Paul Emberley, but you've also been listening to the dulcet sounds of When I'm 64 and The Fisherman's Favorite, two songs by the iconic Figgy Duff, a folk rock band from Newfoundland, which is even named after one of the island's iconic dishes, a kind of steamed dessert pudding. Anyway, beyond their great culinary name, They've also been instrumental in bringing about a revival of Newfoundland's traditional music since the 1970s. So a huge thank you to their singer-songwriter, the lovely Pamela Morgan, for letting us use the songs. All of their albums can be purchased online, but we'll link to a few of our favorites on our website. The Feast is written and produced by me, Laura Carlson, with sound engineering by Mike Port. And speaking of thank yous, This episode absolutely would not have happened were it not for the fantastic Leslie Javorski, who connected us to Lori McCarthy, Ray Johnson, and Pamela Morgan. And actually, doing an episode on Newfoundland's cuisine and heritage was her idea. So we owe her a massive debt of gratitude. Learn more about Leslie's other food projects by visiting her website at foodwords.ca. And... That's it for this season of The Feast. Hard to believe, right? Don't worry. Over the summer, there will be more great feast tidbits popping up in your feed. We'll be releasing some of our interviews over the past year with authors, historians, and chefs as special summer episodes. So you don't have to wait too long for your next feast fix. And if you do have an idea for season three, we'd love to hear it. So get in touch with us via our website at thefeastpodcast.org or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us via at feast underscore podcast. Once again, thank you to everyone who helped make this season possible, especially our Patreon supporters, new and old. You really do make this show happen. From the website hosting to the microphones, we honestly could not do this without you. Anyway, until next time, I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. Tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC.